electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, Judgment Day. As America heads to the polls, our investment committee votes on where your money will work best in the years ahead. And joining me for the hour today are Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal, John Nigerian, and Bryn Talkington. She's the managing partner at Requisite Capital Management. We begin with stocks. They are higher again. It is the best back-to-back days in the market since June, the best day for breadth in the market since April. The S&P on pace for its second biggest presidential election day rally. Bryn Talkington, is there a message in the market over these last couple of days that we need to pay attention to? I think it's interesting because, you know, last week the markets were so weak and everyone, I think, felt so despondent that this week was going to be just a replay of last week. And so I think that as the election is here today, people are settled, I think, into the fact that we will have a result. I think the market thinks we will have a result, you know, in the next 24 hours. And I think just we all have fatigue from this election. And I think just having a decision is what the market is pricing in right now. And then after that decision, we'll go from there. Yeah. So I think the market's positive for, for, for clarity, at least the, the guise of clarity. It may not be clear. We'll, we'll see tomorrow what actually happens. Yeah, unless the market, Josh, is getting ahead of itself, because if you go by our CNBC States of Play poll, only one in five think you're going to have an answer tonight on election night. The market seems to be acting over the last couple of days like we're going to know everything and go to bed knowing who the next president's going to be or Donald Trump's going to get a second term. Yeah, I don't have any special insight in like the, the polls. I do think that there's some overstating of the things that went on in 2016. And now people expect that to be the case this time because of the recency bias. I do think a lot of the holes in the way questions were asked and polls were taken have been closed. Um, and so probably the polling we've seen this time will be more close to reality, although it's never going to be perfect. But I do think the market is beginning to price in Biden. And I think uh, you can say that based on one very simple thing you can look at, which is um, the tens and twos. So we are now at 71 basis points in that spread. This is very important because we are at the highest level since we were uh, in January of 2018. And if January 18 sounds meaningful to you or rings a bell, that was the onset of the trade war, which, by the way, has been a much bigger tax on the economy, on the consumer, on businesses, an invisible tax um, through the manufacturing sector into recession last year, um, inverted the yield curve. That was a way bigger problem than whatever you think Joe Biden may or may not do to the corporate tax rate. So I think the market is saying it's okay for that yield spread to widen. It does look like all the stimulus is going to lead to an economic recovery. And if we get a vaccine and end to the trade war, um, that is good enough for economic expansion in 2021. I think that's why you're looking at the financials ripping, uh, regional banks up 3.5%, highest level since June. Um, take a look at uh, Macy's, J.W. Nordstrom, a lot of the value stocks, 
All of those things happening in concert, the dollar weakening, uh, very noteworthy. International stocks up 3%. Small cap value, IWN, N is in Nancy, uh, priced in triple Qs. That's small cap value versus large cap tech. That's been bottoming for six months. That's now breaking out to the upside. So I think that is the message of the market. Um, it could change, but that is the expectation being put into place in each of these very economically sensitive uh, areas. You really went through the reasons why I said at the top you had the best breadth in the market since April. Steph, you buy it? You buy what Josh is selling there? Well, I think you have to think about long-term versus short-term, right? So long-term, according to Capital Group, who put out a great report a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't matter. Long-term, it doesn't matter who gets in, who wins. 18 of the last 19 presidential elections, if you put a hypothetical $10,000 investment into the market at the beginning of the election year, you would have gained value 10 years later. So it, no matter who won. So long-term... I mean, if you're a long-term investor, you kind of ignore this noise and this volatility. Short-term, it all depends on, on Congress um, and the mix of Congress. And I would agree with Josh in terms of uh, the market is pricing in a blue wave, not only just the Biden win, a blue wave. Because if you look at the sectors that have been outperforming over the last month, it's infrastructure, it's clean energy, um, it's healthcare services, uh, uh, pharmaceuticals have lagged. So I totally agree that the market is pricing it in. We'll have to see whatever happens. I think the market would be the happiest if you had a Biden win in a mixed Congress because as an investor, we like gridlock. We don't like a lot of surprises. But I think status quo is also probably award, uh, rewarded by the market as well um, because you do have a pro-business president. You have lower taxes, lower deregulation or regulation rather, um, but you also are going to get a lower fiscal dollar amount. And so that's going to offset it a little bit. The blue wave, you get higher taxes, but you also get a higher fiscal amount. So there's a lot of different outcomes that you can you can. Um, kind of conjure up, if you will. Uh, I'm not trading my portfolio on the short term. I'm, I'm actually investing for the long term, and that's not changing in terms of cyclicals as well as secular technology. So your vote, if you will, on which man is better for the stock market is it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You have to look at Congress because can they get anything done? Right. I mean, investors, we like gridlock because then, you know, you get one or two things done and then you can kind of not you go back and focus on fundamentals. If you get status quo, we already know what we're going to get. Right. We already have that that playbook. Hey, st hey Steph, wave, I think the you see only the most exception. Change. Yeah. The only ex you are, I think you're dead right on the markets preferring gridlock. I think the the only couple of exceptions there, um, there's a really big one, which is stimulus. I think the market would say, OK. Gridlock would be nice, but $3 trillion raining down on states, cities, people with less than $100,000 in income, people on, on, uh, on, on food stamps, like that actually would be preferable to gridlock. And that's literally on the docket for February in a blue wave scenario. So I think that is an exception. Well, I would simply um, say to the I, preference for, for yeah, gridlock. no, no, no. I'm, I'm, but, 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 Josh, I'm not saying I'm saying gridlock for most of the things that Biden wants to get through because he's not going to be able to get them through, right? But I think they they all agree that stimulus has to happen. It's just a matter of the dollar size, right? So if it's under the blue wave, it's a much higher dollar amount, in my opinion, on the fiscal side. If it's status quo, well, it's it lower. Is if it's, if too. it's well, that's true, but you're going to get it. You have to get it. You can't, have a, you can't have 9 million people unemployed. You can't have small, medium businesses closing every single day. So we're going to get it. It's the amount that we're going to get is the biggest question, and that's going to depend on the mix of Congress. That's a, it's a big reason why the notes 
guys, Jim, that have come out most recently from Wall Street say it doesn't, some of them at least, say it really doesn't matter because of all the reasons that Steph and, and Josh have laid out, but especially Steph with this idea that you're going to get stimulus. The only question is, to what degree are you going to get it? And maybe to a lesser degree exactly where it goes. But you're going to get a sizable number. If it's a blue wave, Jim, you are likely to get a mountain of a number. Yeah, well, that's, that's uh, I think, absolutely true, Scott. And, you know, the other factor here that we haven't mentioned is Jay Powell and the Fed. Uh, Barron's, of course, last weekend wrote an article, a cover article, saying he's the most important person in the room. That's, you know, to a large extent true because the effect he has on interest rates, look, housing is such an important part of the economy that's recovering right now. The Fed is not going to let, I don't think, the 10-year go, go above 1%. Um, you know, they're going to keep interest rates low. They'll keep quantitative easing going and increasing if they need to, if they need to. Um, and that category of if they need to comes down to the virus and what that's doing. We still don't know when there's going to be a vaccine, uh, how effective it will be or when it will be distributed. Now, I'm saying all of this to say, yes, presidential policies matter, but they are far from being the only factor in play. They're important today because it's Election Day, but there are far more important factors than just the president and who his well, policies where's are. where's your vote going? If, if I ask you the same question I asked everybody else, who, who's better for the stock market? Who do you write yeah, so, in your vote? So the, the, yeah, here's the thing, and I don't like my answer, but you know, in the narrow view of who's likely to make the stock market go up, it's probably Trump. Here's why I don't like the answer is because the volatility, as we've already seen in the last four years, and when I say volatility, I don't, don't mean just the standard deviation of S&P 500 returns. I mean volatility in society as well. It's so breathtakingly high that if the narrow question is who's better for the stock market, I'd say Trump. If the question is who's better for the, the world, including the, the uh, stock market, I would say Biden. But it's interesting that, Josh, I mean, you, your, your answer to that question when we asked was, was Biden. Jim says Trump. I'd like you to. The only reason it's Biden, the only reason it's Biden, the only reason it's Biden is because it's a kill switch on the madness of the last five years. And it's not exactly. I'm not saying that as a Democrat. I'm just saying the last five years cannot be repeated. The country cannot live with this level of acrimony between both sides. I don't think Biden is going to be on Mount Rushmore. Okay. And I voted for Republicans before, okay? Don't hate me. I, I just very much feel like we have to get this trade war finished and we have to get the virus under control. And only one of the two candidates is serious about um, ending the trade war and, and, and ending um, the, the spread of the virus. The other one is pretending that the trade war is good and is helping people and that the virus is going to disappear or is barely affecting anyone, and we're breaking new records of infections, and the death count is rising, and we're going into the coldest months. We haven't even had them yet. So if you ask me, like, what does the stock market want? Of course it wants stimulus. Of course it wants Powell to stay on vacation. But what it really needs, what it really needs is a deceleration in the rate of infection of the virus, and it's not going to happen under President Trump because he doesn't think it's his problem or his responsibility. Don't get mad. Don't write letters. I'm just saying what he's saying okay, at his rallies there, to a maskless audience. That's fine. There, there are some who are going to, and many, uh, who are going to say, 
okay, I hear you. I hear everything you just said, but the madness, that's the word you use, the madness. You use that word madness of the last five years, um, four years, whatever, um, has turned into an S&P 500 that's up 58% since Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. It's like 100 stocks. The it's ne- like 100 the- stocks. It's like 100 stocks, Scott. They the just ne- happen to be really big market caps. Well, I mean, the numbers are the numbers, right? I mean, if you, if you bought the S&P well, on Election Day fine. of that's 2016. That's not a great gauge. <clears throat> it's not a great gauge? Not a great gauge. No, go look at, go, go, go look at an equal weight index. I'm looking at the Russell's, up, thir- the Russell's up 34%. I mean, the numbers are the numbers. The Nasdaq's up 115%. So there are some who say, yeah. you may be right, but I don't really care about any of those things because the stock market has done well under President Trump. And it's likely to do it's well pa- again under Powell. President Trump with similar policies. Oh, and, and if you want to throw Jay Powell in, that's fine, because Jay Powell may not be going anywhere either. Yeah, it's Jay, it's Jay, it's Jay Powell and the Fed's ultra-reflationary <clears throat> in, in, uh, policies in 2018 that rescued us from having a recession that the market started to forecast. But those by are the, the same policies that the would have rescued. In but you May could make the same. You could make the same argument and say that under President Obama, then Ben Bernanke gets all. Argument. But then he gets all the credit because of the same reflationary Actually, policies after the crisis caused the boom in the Obama stock market gets, that we saw yeah. over that period of time. Scott. Obama. Obama gets Scott. way too much credit for the <laughs> fact that he took over at Dow seven thousand. He gets way too much credit for what the stock market um, and what the jobs market had done. You pretty much could have had any normal president in that slot. And the combination of the stock market being 50 percent lower where they took over with what the Fed was doing would have led to a great stock market and a great job market. So I think presidents in general, both parties, get too much credit when things go well, too much blame when things go poorly. I think that was was that Bryn? Pardon me. Well, who was who's no, trying to get it? Was me. that Steph? It All right, listen to this. Let's do this because um, yeah. we finally got John's shot working. Um, Steph, you make your comment, please. And then we'll introduce John okay. and we'll let John speak because I want to ask him the same question and, ha- and invite him into the conversation, too. But please make the point that you wanted to. I just, thank you. I just want to say from an investor point of view and from a company point of view and talking to CEOs, and I talk to dozens and dozens of them on a regular basis, they do like Trump's pro-business policies, lower taxes, lower regulation. Obviously, the Twitter antics are, are, are the offset, right? And we don't necessarily want that. But the, from an investment point of view, you're asking us about the stock market, right? That is, what, that is what stocks and that's what companies want. They want lower taxes. They don't want regulation. And that is his policy. Like it or not, that is his policy. And that is why corporate profits have done so well over the last four years. Yeah. Um, and look, it, it's... it's a good point to raise too. speaking of corporate profits, you know, if if a president Biden takes the corporate rate, if he's able to take the corporate rate up to 28 percent, like he says, you're obviously yep. going to have an impact on corporate profits. These are all things that we as investors need to to be thinking about. John Najarian, welcome to the party. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Scott. All Thank right. On this election, on this election day, John, I, I don't know if you heard the crux of the I conversation did. that we're having before you joined, but the question I asked everybody, who's better for the stock market? Well, um, a split Congress, I agree that a split Congress is actually what's going to be better for the uh, market 
except that you'll get a very big sugar rush if it's a blue wave. The sugar rush, Scott, as we all know, would come from an increased stimulus package that has been on hold since July, since it expired, uh, which is a damn shame because, you know, they rolled the dice on that, played politics with it. We'll see if it works or not. Um, I, I think that was a big mistake in terms of it will push the recovery, not the stock market. Stock market will do fine, but it'll push the economic recovery out all the way through 2021 with with the delay of not getting these stimulus to the folks that needed it. Um, but, Scott, I'd point to, uh, like, last week we saw the VIX trade through 41 and hold it for a couple of days. Um, now, was that because pulls tightened, perhaps, and the people really want that blue wave, that sugar rush that Josh was talking about? I'm sure that had something to do with it. Uh, the VIX has come down. Obviously, it's back down to 34.80 when we started the show. That's the spot VIX. The futures that traded up to 37 in the front are now down to 32. So we're seeing um, a rapid uh, shrinkage, if you will, love that Seinfeld word, uh, shrinkage of volatility because people believe that even if, as we've heard from a number of the panelists, whichever president is there, if it's a split Congress, um, that is what would uh, basically uh, be something that people would uh, feel a little safer about what the uh, stimulus uh, and lack of stimulus would be because it would more likely be directed towards people rather than just towards throwing money at and having a party um, if it's a blue wave. The, the other issue I, I wanted to bring up with all of you for your votes again today is related, Bryn, to what sector is going to do the best over the next handful of years. Overwhelmingly, <laughs> it was technology over the past four that has done the best. Tech was up 150% since President Trump was elected uh, in November of 2016. And Bryn, you think that technology continues to be the outperformer? Well, sure. I think that any industry, well, technology is such a big, a big catch-all. I don't think Intel is going to do great, and that's technology. So let, let's be clear. There's specific names. The big difference between Intel and Tesla or Intel and NVIDIA. But anytime you have an industry where you're going to get, you know, growth 15, 20 percent, you have companies inside of technology like PayPal or Square, which have huge addressable markets. I think absolutely that's where you're going to see growth. I think over the next year, you could see linear growth in things like industrials or airlines or lots of different industries, which are still down 30 to 50 percent year to date. But if you're asking me over the next four years, if you have to make an investment today, I actually would buy, if I could buy one investment, I would buy MTUM the momentum index, mm. because that's going to do all the heavy lifting for me and buy the stocks that are going higher. And ultimately, that's what we, we all, all on this panel want to buy stocks that go higher. Yeah. And so that would be my best bet if I could just do, do, do one trade is buy momentum. That's a good, I, I like the way you leave it off with your sort of one big trade. Josh, what would your one big trade be if you can come up with something off the top of your head based on what you delivered in the beginning with your answer on the presidency? Uh, travel. Any, anything that's not an airline that's at all connected to travel and leisure, just buy them now because the comps are going to be ludicrous. You're going to think you're looking at a video game. You're going to have hotel chains reporting 100% jumps in occupancy um, by, by the time we get into next spring, next summer versus this spring, this summer. And the market's are going to respond the way they always respond. Pavlovian 
and enthusiastically. So if you, if you want one big trade, um, probably no matter who's president, but under Biden, maybe it works better because the virus gets under control faster. You want to be in travel for the 2021 versus 2020 comps. The, the other, Just don't I, buy the planes. The, the other idea, Jim, is that if, if you think that you're going to get a, a massive stimulus thing through, it seems like small caps and industrials, more cyclically focused stocks would be a layup. I totally agree. And, you know, within that, first off, small caps are still in a bear market. They haven't set a new high from their summer 2018 previous high. So, you know, as much as the market has rallied this year, small caps are still laboring under the last two and a half years. But then with regards to cyclicals, not all cyclicals are equal. And I think the industrials are the place to be. Yes, you're already seeing a bid there in the last two months, but it's likely to continue when the infrastructure is going to have a lot of construction of new energy products, excuse me, projects. You're also going to have continued onshoring of the supply chain. This all bodes well for earth moving equipment like Caterpillar, you know, large industrials like Honeywell, Dover, et cetera. Uh, transportation stocks, these all do well under that scenario. Steph, to, to the, the tech idea, though, since Donald Trump's inauguration, it's so tech focused in terms of the better performing individual names. AMD is up almost 700 percent. NVIDIA is up just about 400 percent. PayPal 350, Amazon 279, Apple 270, Netflix 255, Microsoft 233, Salesforce 217. Do you think at all about the idea of more regulation, no matter who wins? Laura Martin, the analyst, was on in the last hour or so and said of big tech related to regulation and some of the changes that may come down the road. Uh, quote, I don't think there's going to be a, they're going to be able to buy anybody. So you can take M&A off the table for some of these big tech names. So that's one aspect of a regulatory overhang that could be impacting these stocks. What do you think? But I think the companies that you just um, mentioned and many, many others, they have very strong end market growth, total addressable markets, like what we've talked about for the last several weeks and months as these stocks continue to elevate higher and higher. And so, I mean, they have the growth and they don't need the M&A, right? So because, again, they are in, is it AI, is it cloud, is it retail e-commerce? Um, there are a lot of different end markets that don't need M&A for these companies to see strong top and bottom line growth. Do you have to pile in your entire portfolio in these names? No, absolutely not. You certainly don't have to chase them, especially even up here. But I think you make your laundry list, and that's why I said before, you do want to have some of the cyclical names. You want to have some of the reopen names. No matter who wins, we're going to reopen. We're going to reopen at some point. We're going to get a vaccine at some point. So you want to have exposure. And I totally agree with Josh on travel and leisure. And that's why I bought Marriott two weeks ago, right? And that's why I own Wynn Resorts. Can't have an entire portfolio of those names, though. And I do want to have exposure to these secular, secular growth technology names. A lot of great free cash flow, good market share, wonderful uh, balance sheets and management teams. So I think you can make a case for both. John, what, what would your one big trade be? Castle, Judge. I mean, you know, when you're talking about connectivity and all of the 5G and all the rest, these guys are out there with the towers. Um, American Tower, uh, I, I think that an area. Oh, we're going to work on we're going to work on John Shot. He, he obviously you know, was talking about American Tower, uh, Crown Castle connectivity. We'll try and get back uh, to John as as his shot looks like it's uh, gone frozen. Um, 
Jim Labenthal, by the way, Thermo Fisher, I want to, one more name that's on the list that I, I read to you. Thermo Fisher is up 244. I bring it up because the CEO is going to be on Mad Money. Uh, so you don't want to miss that interview. I just wanted to get uh, that piece of, of note in there. Um, Jim Labenthal, is there a stock that stands out to you that you'd want to place a bet on? There's Mark Casper. He'll be on with Jim at 6 o'clock tonight. Don't miss that. Thermo yep. Fisher, again, one of the best performing stocks uh, during the Trump presidency. Jim? Well, I, I'm, I'm tempted to take the bait. You know, Thermo Fisher is one of my newer acquisitions, but boy, is that a high quality company. Well run. And you think about what they do, chemical reagents and laboratory equipment. I don't care if the pandemic ends. We're still going to be developing drugs, you know, for the foreseeable future for an aging demographic globally. So, you know what? I will take the bait, Scott. I mean, Thermo Fisher is just a fabulous company. That's one that I think you can buy and park it away for the next five years and enjoy the returns. All right. Let's run through a few of these, uh, the, the notes uh, from today. Get some Election Day commentary and we can, we can kick it around. Bryn, I'll, I'll begin with you. Goldman's Jan Hatzius. And maybe this is the bet that the market, as we said at the very top of the show, is trying to place its bet on by virtue of this best two-day gain since, since uh, early June. Uh, Hatzius thinks there's a good chance we're going to know the winner tonight. Tom Lee says we believe stocks are going to rally post-Election Day. Make sense? Well, I mean, it makes sense I, with, with Jan's quote about or a comment about tonight, maybe, maybe not. But I think that definitely if we have a split Congress, if Trump wins, or if we have a Biden Republican Senate, I th well, maybe even regardless, the market rallies. But I think longer term, it definitely matters who sits in the White House and who sits in the Senate. And so I think, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think people should be patient. I think we've talked to a lot of our clients about the next week or so, we were having these conversations that you have to remember when you're investing and you sell something, there's always another side to that decision is when are you going to buy it back? And that's what history tells us over and over again is people don't make that second decision to buy it back. So regardless of the outcome or the volatility that we see or don't see, mm -hmm. we're going to sit patient. And if we do see some volatility, we're definitely going to be buyers. Because I think this is a great opportunity for all the reasons that we've already pointed out of why you want to be into equities going into 2021. Speaking of buying back, do you want to tell us before we go to break why you bought back Goldman Sachs? Right. So I talked about it, I guess, a few weeks ago when I was here. It's a great, we'll call it a channel trade. You buy it in the 190s, sell it around 214, 215. It's a cheap stock. And it may break out of 215, 220 at some point, but it came right back down to 190. Um, we bought it. When it gets back up to 215, I'll sell it again and keep doing that trade. All right. We are, as I said, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about some of the traders' other big moves, their latest buys and sells coming up, plus Ant Group's record setting IPO. Well, it's been put on hold. Alibaba plunging on that news. It has a stake in the company. The investment committee's take on that. And Alibaba, if you own it, because one of our investment committee members does. And it's your money, your vote. Don't miss our live election coverage tonight on CNBC. All night long starts at 7 p.m. Eastern. We're back on the half in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Pennsylvania does not allow any processing of mail-in ballots until Election Day. So that work is now underway. This is what it looks like in Philadelphia, with dozens of workers opening envelopes and preparing the ballots for processing and counting. It takes about 40 seconds per ballot. Nationwide, more than 100 million people cast an early vote, either in person or by mail. And all of that voting by mail is hitting the Postal Service. Today, it is reporting its fifth straight day of fewer on-time ballot deliveries, about 89.5%. Before the pandemic and policy changes, about 95% of deliveries were on time. And Hurricane Etta is approaching Nicaragua's northern coast as a Category 4 storm with very heavy rain and what are being described as catastrophic 145-mile-per-hour winds. The National Hurricane Center calls the storm extremely dangerous. You are up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Sue. The Investment Committee making moves. Stephanie Link, as I said, uh, I want to get through some of these. You've added to Alphabet. Tell me why. I did. I did. Uh, even with the rally last week, it's still up to only 23% year to date. And that um, actually that compares um, very, very favorably versus the other fangs, which are up double, triple, that kind of thing. But they had the best quarter. Total revenue growth of 15%. Search growth, 6.5%. YouTube ad red revenues rose 32%. Cloud up 45%. I mean, it was like one great number after another. And oh, by the way, they bought $8 billion in stock. So I still think this one is the best value. I picked it as my final trade about a month ago, and I still like it, and I will continue to add on weakness. Okay. Um, you're completely out of Home Depot now. I am. I started trimming. Oh, well, that's a bummer. We'll get Steph back. Uh, I, I promise all of you uh, that. Let's talk about that other story I mentioned. The record-setting IPO for China's Ant Group been delayed now, according to announcements by the Shanghai and Hong Kong stock exchanges today. Alibaba shares have been falling on that news, pacing for their worst day since the spring. Alibaba owns roughly 33% of Ant Group. Bryn, you own Baba. Uh, what do you think about this today? Well, I think it's, this is why people don't buy Chinese stocks, by the way. It's like a day and a half, two days before the IPO, probably the largest IPO in history, the, you know, probably the Chinese Communist Party comes out and says, we're going to remind Jack Ma who's in charge here. Um, it, seems, it seems very specific. Um, obviously, Ant Group does micro lending because China, in China, you really don't have a credit card industry. And so it's a growing industry and they want them to have much larger loan provisions. And I can't f even fathom an IPO this size that this was new news. And so I think it's just job owning from the, from, the, from the CCP. And that being said, the regulators in China need to make a decision quick if Ant can refile with more regulatory disclosures or they're going to have to just punt the IPO. I'm going to stay in BABA for the time being. It's a wonderful company. Um, Singles Day is on November 11th, and then they report earnings, I believe, this Thursday. It's, it's, it's a great way to play it. That being said, it's so frustrating. And I once again, I think there's high skepticism mm -hmm. in Chinese stocks for this exact reason. It's just yeah. games. Josh, games I mean, playing. there was there was a time where you used to buy these stocks through K-Web. I still have exposure. We've been o overweight emerging markets and Chinese technology stocks are the biggest weightings in every emerging market uh, index fund, you name it. So we're, we're in there. We're just not in them specifically in an ETF. Um, I think Bryn is, is exactly right. And I would just say, like, Jack Ma over the weekend made these comments at, a, at like, a, a summit 
really shouldn't be making these comments. China is not a monolith. You've got um, entrenched interests like traditional banks that want to see him fail. They want to see Ant Financial get turned away before it can get public. 39% of Ant uh, Financial's business is this online lending unit. So now the regulators are, are threatening to not, not let it go public. They might tighten uh, the, the loan rates at, at, at which business can be done. And it's like this kind of thing where why would you do this? Why would you sabotage? And the reason is um, there are competing interests within China, even though it's all very centrally controlled. So you're seeing that play out. There are two options. They say no, don't bother refiling. All the money gets returned. Ironically, that money can end up finding its way back into other Chinese stocks, including BABA. So that's number one. Or number two, they refile and very quickly it's just a hiccup. They end up going public. And I think the second scenario seems the most likely. It seems like most people have something to gain from this happening. Um, so I would just try to look past it if I were a shareholder here. I do think Ant will go down as the largest IPO of all time. And uh, I do think it'll be well received um, on, on those local markets. Okay, up next, she's been named one of the rising stars on Wall Street. She visits with us next. We'll get her take on the market. It's City's Kristen Bitterly. Why 2021 is setting up to be a bullish year for your money. And a reminder, you can watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. Of course, our focus today, the election, your money. And our next guest says, don't trade the market. There are three big tailwinds that will boost your portfolio. Kristen Bitterly is the head of capital markets at City Private Bank. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. The election matter to, to the markets. You know, the, the, the gang that I have in, in front of me today says it doesn't matter all that much. Of course, the elections matter in terms of what's on people's mind and some of the short-term volatility. But what we're encouraging our investors to do is really take a step back and think about what is true regardless of the outcome of the election. And as you just mentioned, we really think there's a trifecta. There's three things that we're going to have certainty on going into next year. 
So the first thing is we're going to have a conclusion of the election, right? People have been talking about it. They've been rotating their portfolios, but we're going to know who's president and we're going to know the composition of the Senate. So we will have a conclusion of this election season. The second thing, which is really important, is we're going to have fiscal stimulus. Now, the exact composition of that fiscal stimulus could change depending upon the outcome of the election, but we're confident that we're going to get it. And then the last part is really focusing on what's driving markets overall. It's COVID. And all of the data is telling us that 2021, we will have a vaccine. There are several companies that are in late stage phase three trials right now. And that really is going to serve as the tailwinds in terms of supporting the market in 2021. No, no, you left out the elephant in the room. Number four, the Fed, right? I mean, the Fed underpins everything that you said. That's very important. And we expect the Fed to kind of continue course. And we'll hear more later this week, obviously. But in terms of supporting the economy, supporting the recovery, supporting everything, given this exogenous shock that has been COVID, we don't expect a change in strategy from the Fed. So does this mean then that if if I think, you know, okay, we're going to get clarity on the election, we're going to get it. It's just a matter of when we're going to get it. Uh, (laughs) Fiscal stimulus. I got the Fed at my back. I've got a vaccine coming. I want to go cyclicals. Reopen stocks, these epicenter stocks that Tom Lee's been talking about for so long? Absolutely. So I think what we're looking at from a portfolio standpoint is look at the rally that we've seen since the the beginning of the pandemic. That's been dominated by what we call COVID defensive names. So we we basically broke the equity market into COVID defensives and COVID cyclicals. Very intuitive, right? It's like the COVID winners, the COVID losers. And so what we've been encouraging our investors to do is take some of the gains off the table in those COVID defensives to start positioning your portfolio for this, for these events, when we get the fiscal stimulus, when we get an elect, when we get a, a vaccine. And that actually gives rise to opportunities in financials, in industrials, actually in real estate as well. Are you looking for a big move higher in rates? We're looking, I mean, look, on the back of of the election and getting certainty, could we see some curve steepening? Absolutely. Do we think short-term rates are anchored? Yes. So that curve steepening could help financials. But I think more importantly on the financials front, so financials haven't gone anywhere in the past 12 years. From a price-to-book ratio, just looking at where they're trading, it's at 0.9. This is basically the lowest level that we've seen since the end of the global financial crisis. And so when we're looking at the fiscal stimulus, we're looking at expecting and being able to see, the market can see that post-COVID world. Once a vaccine is announced, then you're going to see a nice tailwind for financials. Yeah, I mean, that, that's when, when you laid out your, your three big reasons, um, of course, the reason that I gave you as number four sort of cuts into the idea that rates are going to move markedly higher as long as the Fed is still engaged. But if you do get a vaccine, if you do get an economic comeback, if you do get a lot more stimulus and a, a really large one under a, a President Biden and, and a blue wave, then you could have a real I'm not saying a shoot higher in rates, but you can certainly have a significantly higher than where you are now. Absolutely. And and you would see that, like I said, in terms of the overall curve positioning. I mean, just speaking of rates, one of the other things that we have to think about from a portfolio positioning standpoint going into next year is one of the biggest challenges that investors are having is where do I find yield in this environment? And so to your point, positioning for higher rates, where do you find yield? Well, it's not going to be in traditional sources of fixed income. So you have to look to areas such as global dividend growers are an area where we're adding exposure. So this is looking at not just high dividend payers, but these are companies with strong balance sheets 
that have been growing their dividends consistently. And they've actually underperformed this past year because of this big momentum in COVID defensive names. And so by adding that exposure, what do you get? You actually get a more balanced portfolio to benefit from that rotation from COVID defenses into COVID cyclicals. And you're also augmenting the yield in your portfolio, which is critically important right yeah, now. I got you. Kristen, it's good to see you. Be well. We'll see good you again see soon. You Kristen well. Bitterly again with City Private Bank. Uh, we had lost Steph when she was telling us why she sold Home Depot. We'll take a break. I think we got her back. You'll hear from her the explanation as to why she is fully now out of Home Depot. You'll also hear from John Nigerian. He, of course, is following the action in the options market. Unusual activity he always tracks is next. All right, we're back. I think Steph is back, too. You there, Steph? I'm here. I'm all sorry right, about that. No, why are you apologizing for? That's the way it is these days. Uh, <laughs> all right, finish Home Depot. Tell us why you're fully out. And then you added to PPG and yeah. Morgan Stanley. And I know our viewers want to hear about all of that. Yeah, so Home Depot, great story, great company, good balance sheet and all that. It's just up 26% year to date, and it's kind of richly traded at 23 times forward estimates. So I still like auto and I still like housing. Those are my two favorite themes. They still remain that way, and I have a lot of exposure in my portfolio. But PPG is only up 2% this year. They had a great quarter. They positively pre-announced, and then they beat the pre-announcement. And they have pricing power, and they have done a great job on the margin front. Best margins in 10 years. So they're really, they have a handle on their business good cash flow of 1.2 billion as well. So I think that has a catch-up kind of trade, if you will. And then Morgan Stanley, it's flat on the year. You get a 3% dividend yield. And I really like what they're doing in terms of these deals, Eaton Vans and E-Trade. Um, they have diversification. It's one of the reasons why they were able to grow revenues in their last quarter of 16%. Great capital level. So when they can buy back and, and, and increase the dividends, they will. And I, I just really like what the CEO, Jim Gorman, is doing at the company, really changing the company around. All right. Good stuff. I appreciate you going through all three of those. John Nigerian, speaking of three, you have three in unusual activity today. What do you got for us? All right, Scott. Well, it plays off of Kristen Bitterly and what she was talking about as far as for some reason I'm getting some sort of a feedback. Well, we here, hear you. I'll... We hear you. OK, okay. you um, can keep going. So what, what we're seeing, Scott, is in Wells Fargo, November 2450 calls being bought um, very aggressively. Uh, for about 22 cents. Now, these are regular November calls, 17,500 of those traded early on today. So like I say, just like Kristen Bitterly was saying, maybe we get a little pop, maybe it's because of steepening of the yield curve or whatever. Twilio is the second trade, Scott. That is 3,000 of this week. So just a couple days from now, of course, uh, November 6th expiration, 300 calls. They were paying 85 cents to about a buck 20 for these. And since that's uh, 280 some odd dollar stock or whatever, uh, obviously a dollar investment in those calls versus a $282.75 investment in the stock. I think you see why people are taking that shot. Lastly, um, next week expiration, no 13th, Macy's 650 calls. Um, and again, I think this one is one that we have seen some very nice pops uh, when people think that they're going to have a little more cha-ching in their pockets again. Mm -hmm. And Macy's might be, investors in Macy's might be betting on that right now, Scott. Yeah, yeah. well, it's a big yeah, bet they're making today. Up 7%. Doc, thanks. The yield on the 10 years hitting its highest level since June. How the futures traders are playing that. They'll tell us next.
Tomorrow, after the election, Halftime Report is gathering the top financial advisors in the country to answer questions about your investing goals and what you should do with your money now. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us at hashtag askhalftime. We'll answer them on the show. It is time now for the Futures Outlook, the 10-year yield. We've been talking about it a lot today, hitting its highest level since early June. Let's bring in Bill Baruch of Blue Line Futures for that trade. How high do you think it's going to go? I think one and a quarter is in the cards. I am bearish on Treasury prices, bullish on the yields, have been for over a month now. I think this is intermission in a longer-term yields, lower for a longer narrative. But what we've seen the last week, a lot of volatility in equity markets. Equity markets were lower, usually get a safe haven bid. No safe haven bid there. Treasury prices edged lower despite that. Now we're going into the election. Coming out of the election, you think there's going to be less uncertainty. That means more safe haven selling. Guess what, though? Washington is going to come back, to come back together. They're going to get fiscal policy done, print more debt, infrastructure spending. That's going to put more supply out there, more pressure on Treasury prices. Yields go higher. And then guess what, too? QE1, QE2, and QE3, after each of massive stimulus, we saw the top in Treasury prices, bottom in yields, massive stimulus this year. So that's already priced in right now. I think that there's going to be a path least resistance, lower for Treasury prices. And I want to sell any type of pop I have today uh, through the election 138.16 is where I want to sell and my target to the downside is 134.16 I'm going to put a stop all the way up there at 139.16 I'm risking $1,000 to make $4,000 well you make it sound so easy with the stimulus <laughs> okay we shall see Bill Baruch good to see you as always Blue Line Futures final trades are next Final trade time. Stephanie Link, you're on the phone. You go first. Mm, back on the phone. Dow Chemical, specialty diversified company, has housing, auto, plastics, and market exposure, which is all three segments I like. They have strong potential for margin expansion, and they have a solid balance sheet, free cash flow growth, and a 5.7% dividend yield. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Bryn Talkington, you are next. I'm going to go with an election trade that we don't get a blue wave, but more of a purple wave. And so Plains All-American, it's one of the third largest pipelines and just initiated a $500 million stock buyback after earnings yesterday. Okay. Thank you for that. John Nigerian. Uh, going with Disney, Scott. Sticking with Disney, I should say. I already own it. We see upside calls. I'm sticking with this one. Okay. Uh, Josh Brown. Um, on the travel theme, I think Stephanie's going to make money with Marriott. I like it. Let me give you the technical buy. Um, it's been bumping its head against this declining 200-day. The trigger is 98.50. It breaks that 200-day, snaps that year-long downtrend. You're going to want to be in this stock. Okay. I would take about five points in risk okay. um, for much more upside. Got to run. Jim is Qualcomm, Farmer Jim. We'll see everybody tomorrow. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.